Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! And welcome to another edition of Fizz Five. It feels like it's been a long time since I did this with Ethan Frank. I'm Liam Griffin. It's it feels like we're together again, and it feels so good. I I think feels so good is an understatement. It's a beautiful Wednesday morning here in Syracuse. I mean, I wouldn't say all the things that are happening in Syracuse, specifically on the athletic side, are beautiful. No. But uh, you got to take what you can get. The sun is out, and that is a rarity here in the winter. Oh, yeah, we love to see it. And speaking of things that aren't so beautiful, let's get right into topic number one. Number one. Monday night was the same old story, at least over the past few weeks, for Syracuse men's basketball. It snatches defeat from the jaws of victory, this time in the form of a 67-62 loss to sixth-ranked Virginia. The Orange had their opportunities down the stretch, but in the end just couldn't get it done. Ethan, like, I remember talking about it on the post-game space after with our colleague, Francesco Simone, just missed opportunities at the wazoo. Yeah, another disappointment because Syracuse has had prime opportunities to win games. You think about games against Miami, against North Carolina, against Virginia. That's three in a two-week span that Syracuse had a chance to get a signature win. And when you're a young team that this is going to happen. Growing pains are going to happen. But you would have thought to this point that Syracuse would have solved its issues, but clearly that's not the case. This is a team that's playing four freshmen significant minutes in Judah Mintz, Chris Bell, Justin Taylor, Malik Brown, all playing a lot of minutes every game. You sprinkle in some Quadir Copeland in there every now and again, and that's five freshmen playing a lot of minutes. So this is a very inexperienced group, and I don't think you'd call Joe Girard a closer. I don't think you'd call Jesse Edwards a closer. So this team doesn't have someone that they know they can go to down the stretch to get a bucket, because when you play Joe Girard against a team, Team like a Virginia that is so stingy defensively, especially at the guard position, you can't just give him the ball and let him go get a bucket. That's just not going to happen. So Syracuse just doesn't have that person that can score for them in the final few minutes. Judah is that guy. He's just not there yet. He's still maturing, which is why I give him a free pass for everything that's happened because he's still getting there. It will happen eventually, which is why he probably should come back for another year of college basketball. How likely that is, I don't know, but he clearly needs another year to refine his shot and help things out on the offensive end when it comes to to turning the ball over and improve that assist to turnover ratio. He can be that guy. He's just not right now. And this is just characteristics of a young team. Absolutely. And the thing with Judah is that he is the most athletic player we've seen since Johnny Flynn. I know that was a big harping point early in the season. Well, there's a reason it was such a big harping point because it's true. But that being said, we've seen the same thing late in games time and time again, just out of control, barreling into a defender on the other end, trying to do too much. And while it's good that he wants to make the heroic play, hero ball is not the way to go. We saw it against Miami, and we're seeing it now. Now, in terms of Joe and Jesse, Gerard played one of his worst games all year on Monday night, just chucking up shots, none of which seem to fall in. 
And as for Jesse Edwards, like he said in the post game that charge that was called with about a minute left, he doesn't, he didn't really agree with the call in real time. But Syracuse is now 0 5 in games when Jesse Edwards fouls out. Can't happen. Does that, does that surprise you? No, not at all. But it's just more of a point that the same issue we saw last year, granted to a lesser degree, is hurting this team this year down the stretch. He fouls out against Virginia. He fouled out against Bryant. Two examples of games down the stretch. Pretty sure Syracuse could have used them. Probably. And I think that's the key with this Syracuse team is that besides Joe Girard, there is not really anyone on this group that is fully developed as a basketball player. I I think Joe Girard has probably reached his ceiling of what he can be as a basketball player. I don't know where, what more there is to go except, you know, improving his shooting percentages, but then, I mean, you think about Jesse Edwards, this guy still has a lot to grow. Ooh, I mean, yeah. physically, he can get bigger. Offensively, his footwork can get a lot better. And he can just become a more physically dominant basketball player. Then you think of all the young guys, they can all improve in a lot of facets as well. Joe Girard is really the only developed player on this roster. Syracuse is a developing team. So I think you have to take that into context when, you know, maybe this five and two, six and three ACC play start raised expectations too much for what we thought of this team when, you know, we should have thought back to, oh, they lost to Bryant. Oh, they lost to Colgate. Oh, they almost lost to Richmond. Oh, they lost to St. John's. Maybe we should have thought back to that um, when they started ACC play out well before realizing, oh, this stretch in January is, is going to be really tough, which I think we all did. Yeah. But then when you lose these close games, you can't go whining about it. Oh, he should have won when they were never expected to win any of them in the first place. And remember, remember, Ethan, those wins early in the ACC stretch, you had two against the bottom feeder Notre Dame team. You barely beat Louisville. You beat Boston College, which is the win that looks better considering they took down Clemson last night. But you're, you're absolutely spot on there. And we're not addressing the elephant in the room with this Virginia game before we move on to the next topic. I don't know how much you have to say about it, but the case of Benny Williams is an interesting one. I, I don't really know what there is to say because I think you have to take everything that Jim Beheim says with a grain of salt. Does Jim Beheim take personal days? Yeah. I, uh, last I checked, there, there are no personal days in uh in, in athletic, the last personal day I heard was Tom Brady taking a personal day in training camp because he was dealing with some marital problems. I don't think Benny Williams is dealing with any marital problems. Um, so I, I, I don't know how much I believe what Jim Beheim said, to be quite honest, because there have been instances where players have left the program midseason. Is that a possibility? I 100% think so. Uh, how much of a possibility is it that I don't know, but I think it's definitely on the table based on what we've seen in, in recent weeks. And, and Saturday will be very interesting to see if Benny Williams is at the game, how much he plays and what the situation is there. Yeah. Beheim did really a classic Beheim thing by saying nothing in response to the question. And you can't speculate, but Benny misses both games against Virginia, one due to a sickness, one due to a personal reason. It's hard to find it a coincidence that the first game Benny misses is the first game after he's taken out of the starting lineup. Again, you can't speculate, but if this is how his Syracuse career comes to an end, bust is the only word you can use. I'm sorry. It's true. Detective Griffin is on the case to figure out why Benny Williams was not in the Dome on Monday. 
Well, I'm no Sherlock Holmes, but one thing I can detect, that football schedule is out, and that's topic number two. Number two. A lot of interesting matchups this season for Syracuse football. The Orange open up the 2023 campaign with Colgate, and that's kind of a shoe-in. But once you get down the stretch, Ethan, you have a three-game stretch in October at North Carolina, at Florida State, at Virginia Tech. No games inside the Dome in the month of October. And before the month starts, your last game, home against Clemson, that is a brutal four-game stretch. Yeah, that stretch really caught my eye as well, Liam. You start September 30th, home against Clemson. That'll be in the Dome. I'm sure that will be homecoming weekend here in Syracuse because you don't have any October games, and I don't think they do homecoming in November. So (laughs) I think that's a pretty obvious choice. Clemson, September 30th at North Carolina, a team that won over nine games last year the next week. Then the following week at Florida State. I wouldn't be surprised if Florida State won the ACC next year. That is a team that absolutely peaked at the end of last season. Yes, this is a really, really good Florida State team, and you have to go play them on the road. Absolutely dismantled Syracuse in the Dome this year. Then you get a bye week before a Thursday night game in Blacksburg, Virginia. That will be awesome. That's going to be awesome. A rocking lane stadium and glad you have a bye week before that Thursday night game. So I know you have three straight road games there, but having the bye week in between should be very helpful. I'm not exactly sure how good Virginia Tech is going to be next year. I don't think they were very good last season in Syracuse won in lane stadium just two years ago in 2021. So it's possible it's a winnable game, but we've seen how Dino Babers' team plays on the road as the season gets later in the year. So we'll see what happens, but for a team trying to improve off seven wins i'm not really sure where the seven wins come from i don't i mean i I don't i can't really see a win at a big 10 team in purdue you barely beat them at home this year that got gifted that win i mean colgate western michigan or shoe-ins you probably beat bc at home georgia techs and they have a new coach Wake at home. Wake's not bad i mean they lost sam hartman to notre dame you play Pitt at yankee stadium Pitt's a good team. I mean, Pat Narduzzi is a good coach, and and Pitt seems to have Syracuse's number. So I, I don't really know how you get how you get back to a. I mean, maybe you get back to a bowl game, but beating your seven wins from last year, I, I find hard to believe. Yeah, the thing that strikes me the most about this schedule is that in November it doesn't appear all that difficult. You start with a Boston College team that disappointed heavily this past year and appears to be on a regression under Jeff Halfley. That's a Friday night inside the Dome. That's family weekend as well. Should be a fun one. Then you go to Yankee Stadium to play Pitt. As as cool as that is, celebrating the centennial of that the first college football game ever played at the second best ballpark in the American League East, uh, you're, you're essentially giving away a home game. Sure, the crowd is going to be majority orange, but why sacrifice a dome game to play a game at Yankee Stadium? It, money, it's money, money. That's 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 probably a good explanation. Then you go to Georgia Tech, not the strongest team, but also not the weakest team. Then you close out with Wake Forest, who, like you mentioned, lost San Marmon. If Syracuse is going to find that sixth win. It's going to come down to if they can beat Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech on the road. Plain and simple. Yeah, I think, no that's fa- I think that's they fair. Have, they have no excuse to not start 2-0. They'll probably lose to Purdue. Army right. feels like I, I, Army right, I think, 
feels like a toss-up, essentially. Right. You would. You, I think you look at the fir- the four non-conference games and go. If Syracuse wants to make a bowl, they need to come out three and one from those yeah, four games. Exactly. Split Purdue and Army. Exactly. You're probably going to lose the the next three: Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State. So let's say you're three and four at that point. So then you need to go three and two in your final five games against Virginia Tech, BC, Pitt, Georgia Tech, and Wake Forest. So I think you're right. If you beat BC and Wake at home, you need to win one of Virginia Tech, Pitt, and Georgia Tech away from home. If you show us you can win one road game, then good on you. How much belief do I have in that? Not that much, but uh, but we'll see. Yeah, especially, Ethan, with all the with the exodus of the coaching staff this season, it's hard to put raw expectations on this Syracuse team. But one thing is certain, this schedule is, it, it's a gauntlet. Yeah, it, it's tough. And I, I think you mentioned the good part about the coaching exodus because Syracuse has one year in the last four since going since winning 10 games in 2018. Syracuse then has three terrible seasons and then finally gets back to a bowl game. And as soon as Syracuse is over 500, loses half of its coaching staff. So that just tells you about people's priorities when they come to Syracuse is it is a, a leapfrog job. It's I, I come here because if we perform, then I can get a job at a better school in the Big Ten in somewhere better in the ACC, somewhere in the SEC. Um, and that could be the same for players too you look at guys leaving uh you look at a guy like deuce chestnut who played well for two years and then goes to lsu i mean if you play well here you're going to have opportunities to leave and go to a bigger program and that goes for playing and coaching so you have to continue to build on this momentum if you're syracuse because if you don't and you keep regressing then the program's going to get worse so if, if you don't win six or seven games this year then that is just unbelievably bad yeah, Ethan, but at the same time, there are a lot of marquee players from last year's team. Or, right, let me rephrase that. There are so few marquee players from last year's team coming back. I mean, Jared Schrader, Aronde Gadsden, and Marla Wax, and maybe Caleb Okachukwu are really the only three that come to mind because of the exodus to both the portal and the NFL draft. And that is the college football world we live in today. Players can jump at the snap of a finger. And I'm all for player empowerment, but at the same time, it is leaving Syracuse in a precarious position. Yeah, really, really precarious, I think is a good way to describe it. That is the football schedule opening day, seven months from tomorrow on September 2nd. Let's move into topic number three. Number three. For the first time in what feels like forever, Syracuse men's basketball has picked up a recruit. Elijah Moore, a four-star guard out of the Bronx, I believe, in at Cardinal Hayes High School, the first member of SU's 2024 class. Ethan, I know you're excited. Yeah, how can you not be excited when someone uh, commits to the future? I mean, Syracuse had a six-man 2022 recruiting class and then has nothing on the board moving forward. Maybe that's indicative that a certain someone is on their way out. Uh, we haven't – Elijah Moore said he, he, he has not been told who will be the coach when he plays in 2024. So I think that could be an interesting tell. But – I mean, he's the top 75 player in 2024 for 24-7. As an Adam Weitzman deal, good relationship with him. He's a shooter. He he has a lot of stuff he needs to work on. But the main thing is that he is a shooter. And when you look at this roster right now, he'll be coming in when this current freshman are juniors. So he can be a piece that contributes 
early on because obviously you won't have this exact same team that's here right now. You would you would not think that every freshman is going to be here. And, and specifically when you think of the guard position, Joe Girard and Simon Torrance definitely won't be here. No. Judah Mintz, I would I have a hard time believing would be here in two years. So then who do you have left at guard? You have Quadir Copeland who can play guard. You have Justin Taylor who can play guard. I mean, both those guys can also play forward. So there should be room for Elijah Moore. Neither of them transfer, too. Right. There should be room for Elijah Moore at the four. So I I think this is a really good pickup. He has good size to play at the top of the zone. I'm excited about it. But uh, there's a lot lot to go on the offensive end that isn't just shooting. Absolutely, Ethan. And when you look at his background coming from the Bronx, it's no secret that New York City is a market for basketball talent coming out of high school. Time and time again, we see these bigger recruits come out of the New York City area, and including Ian Jackson, five-star guard who committed to North Carolina, but a guy that more played with to develop that rapport of playing with the big time. That said, I like the point you made about him being able to shoot but still having a lot more to work on. So with that in mind, we've seen Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard, to use actual SU examples, or at least players that have actually played for SU, have that shot coming in, but develop the ability to attack the basket over time. As far as I'm concerned, Ethan, as much as you want to see him develop that in college, he's got a year and a half left of high school. Yeah, he has time. And I think when you look at Elijah Moore, he's much more athletic compared to a guy like Buddy Beheim, compared to a guy like Joe Girard is playing much higher level high school basketball compared to where Joe Girard played in high school, compared to where Buddy Beheim played in high school. I mean, you think about the best players to come out of upstate New York over the last few years. Usually what they do is they play a couple of years at their high school and then they transfer to a big prep school uh, somewhere else. And I mean, Elijah Moore doesn't have to do that because he's playing at Cardinal Hayes, which is a a very well-known athletic institution for both football and basketball. Somewhere Syracuse football should be recruiting a lot and, uh, and did back in the early 2010s when Doug Marone was the head coach. So that's a place that you want to tap into. And Elijah Moore is is just the start of that. And you made a good point with Ian Jackson. There are people around the New York city area that are, that are Syracuse should be going after, and you need to tap into that a little bit more. And, and we'll see if the orange do here moving forward. It's a, it opens up a variety of paths for Syracuse to take on the recruiting front, because as great as this pickup is, Ethan, I'm sure you would agree one is not enough for the class of 2024. And considering the transfer portal, I'm still weary about no one in the class of 23. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about recruiting coming up here in a minute. But Syracuse, I mean, you look at their 24-7 page, there's basically nothing there for 2023. So my assumption is that Syracuse is hopefully going to retain a lot of its current roster for 2023 and look to fill in ancillary pieces in the transfer portal and we'll see if they're able to do that. But when you look at this raw, so I I just think the biggest leap in college usually comes from year one to year two. And and that's typically in any sport is year one to year two is when you take the biggest leap from the level you're playing at. You think about in the, in the professional ranks as well, basketball, football, baseball, whatever, usually your biggest jump in, in development is from year one to year two, because you're still physically maturing when you're that age. So these are 18, 19 year olds playing for Syracuse right now as freshmen. Once you get to be sophomores and you have a year accustomed to playing against the bodies that are in college basketball going up against 20, 21, 22, you know, maybe 23 year olds. 
then I, I think that helps help Syracuse a lot. And I don't know who's going to transfer. I have a hard time believing that more than one or two of this freshman class would transfer. I mean, Quadier Copeland's the most energetic guy on the bench. I think Quadier Copeland, if he develops, can be a tall point guard on this team, a la, a la Frank Howard, a la Michael Benajay, a la Michael Carter-Williams. I was calling for him to play more just a few weeks ago. So once Gerard Torrance move on, I don't see why Quadier Copeland can't step into that guard spot, uh, that third guard spot if Judah stays. And I would have a starting backcourt of Judah Mintz, Justin Taylor, and Quadier Copeland be that third guard. I mean, Chris Bell, I've said it many times. He's a tall guard. He's a guard. He is not a forward. He's a guard. Um, I don't know why Jim Beheim keeps playing him at forward, play him at guard. And I think he would have much more success if he was playing at the top of the zone because of his inability to rebound because of his lack of physicality. So, so that's my thoughts on that. I mean, maybe Bell transfers, maybe Copeland transfers. I don't know, but it seems like a lot of the, these freshmen are invested in the program and, and get along well with each other, but that's just an outsider's perspective. I would certainly agree on that front with the freshmen being gelled together. I mean, yes, you see Quadier Copeland and even Peter Carey, who, yes, is out for the season, have that energy on the bench. And then if you look around the class of 24, you look at guys like Jalik Dunkley Distant, Boogie Fland, Marcus Adams, guys that could pair with Elijah Moore. Topic number four. Number four. Marcus Adams, in specific, has visited with Adam Weitzman, was in town not too long ago, and could reclassify to the class of 2023. If that last part is true, and Syracuse is able to pick him up, Ethan, it's no secret, I would be ecstatic. Wow, that's a big word. I know. Any other words to describe your uh, enthusiasm level if Marcus Adams were to commit and reclassify to 2023? Hmm. Let's just say it would have been jumping for joy like Brady did after the Malcolm Butler interception. Oh, I don't know if anybody needs to see you jumping for joy, Liam, but uh, uh, we'll keep you in podcast form. So Marcus Adams, he'll be releasing his top five today. That would be Wednesday, February 1st is when we're recording this. But he's releasing his top five. He said Syracuse will be in it and hopes to make a decision after he visits Syracuse again with Adam Weitzman. So he took an official visit this past weekend and stayed for the Virginia game. Uh, I read some stuff about it, had dinner with the team, had dinner with some players, is developing a relationship with Judah, which is re- which is really That's good huge. stuff. That's huge. Wants to have an of come take an official visit because Adam Weitzman uh, wants to have him on an official visit to you know, talk about the charity work he's going to do and then be compensated for it through his uh, name, image, and likeness deals. So when will that happen? The two likely dates are probably either the Wake game or the Duke game. You'd have to imagine both Saturday games. Really, I think the last two weekend games on this schedule, Syracuse did not have a lot of home games over the weekend this entire season. But those are probably the two dates you could be circling. So maybe we're looking at a March decision for Marcus Adams, but he was asked about the rumors that he could reclassify. He said, I don't know yet. I'm just worried about taking my visits right now, but he is setting his top five today and has said Syracuse will be in it. This is a guy who's a really, really good player. He's almost top 60 in the class of 24, according to 24, seven. So he's better than Elijah Moore. He's from uh, California. So a bit of a, a bit of a different speed than Elijah Moore coming from New York. But I mean, we just saw Syracuse pick up a player from California in, in Chris Bell. So that's not out of the realm of possibility. And if you want to 
put the Chris Bell stinks argument out there when it comes to players coming from California. Yes, he has had his struggles, but he has shown flashes of being a great player. And I think we're going to see more of that next year. But back to Marcus Adams, when you look at the schools that are currently pursuing him, you've got Texas, you've got UCLA, you've got Oregon. But other than that, you don't really have any schools that are really going to make the college basketball world explode. So this is absolutely a race. Syracuse can enter and potentially win, especially considering both the Longhorns and Bruins are currently loaded. If Marcus Adams were to reclassify and come into Syracuse, there's a slot for him right away. Benny Williams is good, has as good as given up his starting spot for him to slide into. And with Jesse Edwards and Joe Girard likely, I'm going to say likely out the door after this season, there's playing time for the taking for Marcus Adams. And yes, like you said, He's better than Elijah Moore. California has produced a lot of great basketball talent. It's not as much of a hot spot as NYC, but it is still a hot spot. Yeah, it, it definitely is, specifically the Los Angeles area, which makes mm-hmm. sense why he's being recruited by UCLA. So that's and USC. Those are two very good teams with a lot to offer. We'll see what Syracuse can do to bring him from California to Central New York. I don't know if I'd make that move myself, but you know, you know, everyone has their priorities and decision making when it comes to decisions. So, so we'll see what happens. But he would be a major, major get for the Orange. Well, if Marcus Adams wants an example of moving from California all the way out to Central New York, he can look no further than our fellow Fizz staffer. Cameron is there, and you can catch his articles and both the VARs along with all of our other content at Orange Fizz on Twitter or at theorangefizz.com. We've got one more topic for you tonight. Let's get right into it. Number five. As we sit here on February 1st, Syracuse men's basketball is 13 and 10 with 6 and 6 in ACC play. If my thought process is correct, and the net rankings haven't changed since the last time I looked, The Orange have three more opportunities at a quad one win, and they come in succession. Duke at home, Clemson on the road, Pitt on the road. Ethan, is the season already over? I mean, you can't say it's over because there's still the ACC tournament, but from an at-large perspective, I think so. I I don't see how already with 10 losses – you can expect this team to build a resume over the final month of the season that will get them a chance at an at-large bid. I mean, they'd have to win almost every single game, maybe one or two losses. So let's let's run through the schedule. You got at BC on Saturday, then at Florida State next week. Then you have a nice break, no weekend game because there's lacrosse going on in the Dome before you host NC State on a Tuesday night. Then you get Duke at home on a Saturday. Then at Clemson midweek, at Pitt over the weekend, home Georgia Tech the following week on a Tuesday night, and then you host Wake Forest to end the year. Syracuse is not going to win every one of those games. There's no. just no way. This team just doesn't win every game. So, I mean, it, it's hard because it's tough to say sit here on February 1st and say the season is over. It's not. I mean, from an at-large perspective, I do think it's over. Uh, I don't see how Syracuse can recover because of all the bad losses they already have. Um, your non-conference, there, there's no impressive non-conference win, um, and there are bad non-conference losses. In the Ooh. schedule, it's not as tough as it was in January, but it, 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 they're still difficult games. I mean, Clemson did just lose at Boston College last night, but 
And you Florida don't have State to go. Played, Florida State played Clemson down to the wire last Florida, week. Yeah, Florida State is playing much, much better basketball uh, as of late. But maybe that's just indicative of a not very good ACC. So is the season over from an at-large perspective? Yes. From a you know development standpoint? No. But, but we'll see. I think the only scenario in which Syracuse men's basketball can somehow, some way, pull an out at-large bid out of its back pocket, win out. You have to win all eight down the stretch. The way I see it, they're all winnable games. Will it happen? Probably not. Probably not, if we're being brutally honest, because Duke's really good. Clemson's really good. Pitt is really good. And I don't really think you can talk about these quote-unquote shoe-ins that we thought of about a month ago. Boston College, Florida State, they're not looking like shoe-ins anymore because they're both playing some of the best basketball they have played all season. So you can never say over, but you're pretty close to it. And that's a product of a young team. Like Jim Beheim set the bar for the NCAA tournament in October because any good head coach should. But it's leaving... Plenty of room for criticism. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not much to respond to that, but no. but yes, Jim Beheim. I don't want to say that word. Uh, he's, I guess, the word is he's. He was way out over his skis with how good he thought this team would be. I understand there's a lot of talent there, but I think he underestimated how much time they would need to gel. And and become a team. They, they've they've been a group of individuals for a long time, and I think there are lineups where you're finally starting to see a team on the floor. But that that's just where we are right now. I mean, yeah, we I, I'm at a loss for words. Way out over his skis was a brilliant way of putting it, and and I think Jim Beheim's attitude in press conferences over the last two weeks coming at one of our colleagues, John Eads, and then doing the same thing on Monday night. Uh, he's getting shoddy because this team is not meeting his expectations, as any head coach should. I mean, I'd be frustrated if I were the head coach of the Syracuse team right now and they were 13-10 and 10 with a month to go in the regular season. But we overshot our expectations just a little bit. Next year, they're going to be gigantic because we assume most of the core will be coming back. But this year, like, I mean, never say never. If Syracuse wins out, it wins the national championship. But I'm more likely to run all the way to Canada. Wow, that's a bold claim. Run to Canada. You want to Google map that, see how far that would take? Uh, I, th- it's, I think it's like 130 miles. So I think. Oh, 130 like... miles. Yeah, possible. What is that? Five marathons? Yep. I've done two half marathons in my life. So it's not. So Liam has done one full marathon in total. So he's saying he could quintuple that number. And if Syracuse wins the national championship, Liam Griffin will run to Canada. Uh, You know what? You have yourself a deal. All right. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Just need more recruits, need to keep building for the future. This basketball team, this football team need to keep building. That it does. That does it for another edition of this Five. With Ethan Frank, I'm Liam Griffin. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. And as always, go Orange.
And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.